Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. I'm going to sit here this morning in an attempt to appease our media team who told me I had to stay between the blue lines. And there's two different blue lines. Both are in the light, so I'm not too sure which ones I'm allowed to go to. I feel very confined. I want to talk to you today about the church and what the church is. And by that I mean, what is the form and what is the function of the church? And I probably am going to have to pause and and try to even explain and qualify exactly what we mean by the church because there's a lot of ideas out there today. There's even some very predominant ideas about what the church is, and I can't possibly address them all. Um, In fact, we planted Generations Church 17 years ago to address some of those ideas that we thought that's just not what that's just not the heart of God and there will be churches planted after us uh, there will be churches maybe that some of our own young people plant in the future that are going to diverge from some of our understanding of what the church needs to be and here and here's the reality that needs to happen because that we need a lot of churches and we need a lot of flavors of church and we need a lot of context in church and we need a lot of a specific application in church because there are many different cultures in this world. And, uh, you know, we're, we're creeping up on 8 billion people who need to have a relationship with Jesus. And so if you think that one liturgical system is going to get us there, I, I'm just going to say to you, good luck. Um, because I don't see that Jesus in Scripture is about the liturgy, although there are certain practices and traditions that are incredibly valuable. Um, there are just certain things that are are. are, are good doctrine, good Bible, good Jesus, and there are things that actually are not. So um, I'm going to attempt to to go through a couple of them today to help us understand. And so I'm going to say this, there's two competing ideologies right now that I am seeing in our world. And um, I do love things like the like what's going on in Asbury in the States right now. Uh, there There's a revival that's breaking out there, and it's legit. Um, don't listen to the naysayers and the people who can complain. Um, as at the same time, understand that, that everything we see in and around that whole move of God, uh, there needs to be fruit from it. Um, and there may or may not, there, there may or they may not be because the church is a steward of what God gives it. And, and quite often what we see is, is generationally as these moves of God might die out, they might continue on. They might become something as great as the Welsh revival. They might become something like Azusa Street. I mean, um, but I would also say that revival could be right here today because revival isn't something that God just sporadically drops wherever he wishes. I think what revival, ha- what revival is is when the men and women of God and the children of God together begin to call out on the name of God and they experience a visitation and then, then they take the heart and the attitude that, that Israel had when he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. That's, that's the church that sees revival, and so I don't want to simplify it because there is a sovereign act of God that takes place there as well. But, um, you know, I wonder, I wonder if we didn't have 20 people who showed up at HQ every single day to pray and to worship and seek God's face. I wonder, I wonder at what point it would be that we would see revival break out because revival is actually here, um, just like the kingdom of heaven is already among us is in Jesus' words. So anyways... Um, The two main ideologies would be this, uh, one, that the church is for the saints or the church is for the saved, the the found people, the the church people, if you will, to be encouraged, built up, and equipped for ministry, and in some cases, even worship God. (laughs) Funny, funny that. Uh, And then the almost opposing idea that we see uh, take, you know, the, and and this is largely in the voices you can find in social media in, in past times. It was a little harder. Maybe a lot of these conversations were reserved for Bible colleges and people's experiences that were going to school together and varying ideas would come together in in training institutions. But now with social media, these ideas kind of get flung to the forefront. And there's a lot of minor voices that would would speak very loudly to tangents and to um, things that are significant but really are on the outside. And so, so what we see... Um, and what I see that I wanted to address for our church is that we, we do see these, these that are almost opposing ideas, but at the same time, they're not really. So the one is that, the, that essentially church is, for, church is for the church people. It's for the saints. It's for the Christians. And then the other side, um, the other side says, well, 
no, church is for the lost. And church is, so the church is for lost people, for the unsaved people to come to. That's what church has to be. And church has to, has to reach those people. And church has to, to, to do something for those people. And church, the church has to be missional. And the church has to outreach. And the church has to be seeker-sensitive. And the church has to be... And so maybe you can already see, those, those of you who are churchy-type people, you already can kind of sense some of this tension that exists. And um, often these two sides will criticize each other. And that's one of the most common things I see today in social media. Uh, my reels on Instagram are filled with good preaching and bad preaching, good doctrine and bad doctrine. And it's interesting to me. I, I actually really kind of like uh, what that platform puts in front of me for the most part. Um, and, and you'll see the two sides criticized. And then even in our church, in many churches, you see people kind of drift. They leave one style of church for another style of church based on the revelation they feel they're getting. And depending on what's going on in their lives. And I have to say, that can be really, really wrong, but it can also be really, really okay. And so I want to start with, uh, I laughed, I went back and edited this, I said, I want to start with a clear statement. And then I went back and edited that to say, I want to start with a clear-ish statement. And I could almost go back and just say, I just really want to muddy the waters a little more with my next statement. Uh, <laughs> and here's what I'm going to say to you. Both of these ideas are potentially right. This, this is the simple matter of it. They each, they each contain values of what the church should actually be. The form and the function are right in their respective approaches. But why isn't it completely right? Why isn't it actually right? And, and if you'll hear it, can we actually ask the question without causing too much offense? What's wrong? Like, what's wrong with the approach? What's wrong with the way of doing? Why isn't it actually what maybe God's heart intends and then how can we even understand what God's heart is to begin with? Uh, because, and I want to say this to you with love, from a seated position, I'll pull the, the crease out of my forehead so that you all think I'm happier. Because I'm actually a very happy person. I just look grouchy sometimes. So I'm doing the best I can to be happy and uh, gentle and fatherly. You, do you see it? Ah. Okay. I'm, just, I'm getting it up there. And... Um, I want to say, maybe you're coming to this church with the wrong understanding of what church actually is. Oh, it's hard work, keeping that wrinkle off my forehead. Maybe you're actually here for the wrong reason. Now, any pastor who says that, with Vision Sunday coming up, an exciting weekend happening next weekend, building projects, sitting uh, in the wings, waiting to be launched... Uh, legacy teams that we're, we're working on, all of these amazing growth things. This is, this is, this is somewhat um, suicidal, is the way some people would feel about this. But what if you're sitting in this church and you have the wrong understanding of what church is? And, and listen, if that's the case, it's going to answer a question of why does this feel so hard? Now, the answer is not to immediately get up and run out of the building. So thank you for nobody doing that so far. I, I, I appreciate that. But I want us to go through, and maybe by the end of this conversation today, which is a very one-sided conversation, I admit, um, although your interaction is appreciated, um, maybe we can actually boil it down at least somewhat, as much as we can in one service, to what it is we actually at Generations Church say the church is. And I'm hoping that you're going to receive some clarity today um, without us having to order pizza and feed your children because we get so late in the day, which we will do, okay? If I'm still preaching at 12.15, somebody order lunch, okay? Just, just don't put me out of my misery. Just, we'll just feed people. All right. So the church that is for the believer. Here, here's the reality of a church that is just for the believer. It tends to be less evangelical. It tends to be more inwardly focused, and this may include a strong desire to worship, but it's often focused on the, the most on encouraging the people of the church, encouraging relationship in the church. Uh, leaders would say of a church like that that it's, they're equipping and encouraging for the work of the ministry, but often in lots of different churches, what you see is that the people really aren't doing any of the ministry. Like, they're, not, they're, they're so inwardly focused, nothing is happening outwardly, and um, it's, it's what we used to call back in the, um, the back in the, uh, I'll call it the vineyard days, because in the 90s, the vineyard movement very much became this worshipful, um, focusing on what God is saying to us individually movement. And again, I'm not, I am actually not speaking critically about any movement or any church today. I think there's actually a place for everybody, and none of us are perfect. 
Um, but this, this very inward focus on what is God saying to me and what does that mean for me and how does that change my life? And, and it's just kind of, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me and Jesus. It's just me. Now, it's unhealthy because you actually don't see that modeled in Scripture. Jesus doesn't ever really give us permission to, to, to come into a relationship with him and then ignore everything else around us. That's, that's actually not what happens. And so when we, when we see that happening in church, what we begin to see is something that is ingrown, undeveloped. Uh, it gets very, very rich. It's kind of like, like getting to eat all the best foods and never having to exercise. It just produces someone that's, that's very well fed and actually very, very unhealthy. All right? So, so that's kind of what the... It's kind of what one side of the church looks like in that. Now, those churches, just so you know, can be very liturgical. They could also be very charismatic. They could be very worshipful churches. They could be very, uh, there's, some, there's some ironies out there. One is I, I've had believers, people who have attended our church and left, and they want to be a church that is psalmic, that they should only worship according to the psalms. And so then if you go to their church, what you would see is you would, you would see maybe an organ or you'd see a, one person with a piano or maybe a guitar, a lot, of, a lot of singing, which is really, really great. But I always kind of, kind of chuckle because if you're, if you're going to worship the church according to the book of Psalms, then how do you miss the trumpets and the cymbals and the lyres and every loud instrument and playing skillfully with the loud noise, right? It's just, it's like, oh, okay. I don't understand why you chose that tangent and why you're ignoring so much of what else Scripture has to say. And so, so that, that's, that's one example maybe of, of how a church can be. Um, and then um, some of the issues that come with that church possibly are, uh, I guess, one that ties to our message last week is that, well, um, when it comes to women in ministry, the ministry of the Word, what it boils down to, even for some of some of the most well-argued, well-thought-out theologians who talk about women not being able to participate in, in the Word of God or, or preaching, what they actually come to is, well, there are exceptions to that. And then also, there are women who are allowed to do all these things, like have a social media platform, post women's conferences, speak to thousands of people at once, as long as it's not on Sunday morning. And see, the problem that that creates is what, what they actually are believing in is they're believing in a church that only exists then on Sunday morning. And that's actually really dangerous and unhealthy. The church cannot exist only on Sunday morning. And we certainly wouldn't believe that as a church here, um, even though we, are, we, we work really, really hard. We're diligent about not making you be busy with something churchish every single day of the week. And so the, these are the dichotomies that all leaders in churches and all Christians really should have to work through and wrestle with. Um, and it's not, it's actually not easy. It's not easy to lead. It's not easy to teach because there's so many things that are, that are individual while they're being corporate. Um, all right. So the church that focuses all on the outside. Let's talk about the problems with a church that focuses all, all outward. These would be churches that have been labeled in the past uh, 20 years or so as seeker-sensitive churches, or you might have heard the term the emergent church. And um, they have developed with, uh, with some major successes and also some major issues. So some of the major successes are these churches can grow very, very quickly. A lot of people seem to get saved, even baptized in, in water. Uh, there's, there's discipleship that comes out of these. But then we also, on the other side, we've seen things like a lot of, a lot of uh, doctrinal misinformation. We see, we see a compromise in what the absolute truths of God's word are. Um, with, with regard to social issues and social pressures that we face in the world, or even political issues. And, and, and then I guess one of the other things that maybe some of the biggest critics of this type of church is because they're so large, there tends to be a lot of attention paid to them when there's, say, a moral failure in leadership. And so you have a large church that has been very seeker-sensitive. It's gathered large multitudes of people. Whether they're doing good things or bad things, if there's a leader or someone in that church who has a moral failure, it's a big, big deal because they have a very broad audience and everybody knows about it. And, and it's, you won't have to look very far to find examples of that. Now, let me just say this. There are just as many moral failures happening in small churches. It's just you don't hear about it because when your church is 50 people and the senior pastor had an affair, guess what? It's a little easier to, to deal with without all the attraction, right? 
And so I, I think that the problems that are common to man are the problems that are common to man. And the, the problems the church encounters, regardless of what style of church you think you are, choose to be, or what God calls you to be, I don't think it has a whole lot of bearing on the struggles that you face. Because we all deal with the same flesh, and we all deal with the same, the same temptation and the same struggle, and we all deal with the same political and social climate. And so it's not, again, that one is right or one is wrong. But it's something that I think we need to be aware of, and certainly I want you to be aware of uh, in a church, specifically in our church. So I guess this is, I need to be fair to both. In both these camps, there are mega churches and there are tiny churches. In the inward-focused church, there are house churches and there are churches that are 20,000, 30,000 people large. And in the mega church, or the, sorry, the, in the house church and in the mega church of the, of the outreaching and outward-focused church, there, there's both. Again, there's, there's all kinds. Here's a little stat for you, and I, if memory serves me correctly, because my memory is, is feeling a little foggy sometimes these days, uh, but I believe it is that if you are a church of 200 people, you're only in, the, you're only in 10% of the churches. Like, 90% of the churches in North America are under 100 people. So, so just to give you an idea, there are far more people in, our, in North America attending small churches than big churches. And it's, a, and it's a little weird to think about that, but, you know, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Robert Morris and Gateway Church and what they do and how I see God moving there. Where a, a lot of us in our leadership team are. We really love some of the things that come out of there. And, you know, there are 25, 30, 35,000 people over the greater Houston area in the state of Texas, and, and, uh, and I see them as a church that's very well balanced. But there are actually more people that are attending churches all over North America that are 100 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 even. And where those churches end up, I'm not going to speculate on this morning for the sake of time. But um, regardless of form or function, I want you to hear this. Most certainly, the vast majority of these people are your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's a fact. Now, there are some weird ones out there. Um, I'm, not too sure, um, I'm, not, I'm not too sure churches that are building a spaceship to go to another planet one day, I'm not too sure they're good saved. I will say that much, okay? Um, and, yeah, let's just, let's just leave it there. There are some whack jobs out there, all right? But I think the vast majority of, of the North American church, the worldwide church, most of us are bent on trying to serve Jesus at some level and figure it out. And so we try to make a habit at Generation Church of never speaking evil of anyone. Um, other than the spaceship building church, I'll speak, I'll speak a little bit sarcastically evil against them, I guess. Um, but we really, too, we, we really don't want to criticize other churches because we actually don't see them as competition, but allies and parts of the same body, okay? Um, it, it drives me a little bit nuts because every, oh, every so often in this city, we, we have, it's like the youth group wars break out or the worship band wars break out and people start flocking back and forth to different churches and I just, you know, I think that's why I think that's why we haven't fulfilled the Great Commission yet. We, that's why. And at the same time, there's unhealthy things that happen, and people need to shift and make a move. So uh, we just we really try to not speak very critically of other churches or what they do. So just so you guys know, I am not a Calvinist. I don't believe in Calvinism, although I appreciate some points of Calvinism. One of my very best friends is a staunch Calvinist. We never argue. And I've had people leave our church because they've decided they're Calvinists and they won't attend a church where the pastor's not a Calvinist. I'm going, well, I guess that'll mature out of them because one of my best friends is a Calvinist and we're just fine, all right? So, um, and if you don't know what a Calvinist is, God bless your heart, don't change. Don't even worry about it, okay? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get onward and upward to the better things of, of doctrine and what God has for our lives. So, um, nor to the best of my knowledge and understanding does the scripture show us that the church is a one-hit wonder for Sundays. Nowhere. I, I can't find it. I don't know of a different word in Greek that describes the church on Monday from a different word in Greek that describes the church on Sunday. I don't know, I don't know that the Bible has a different word for the church that went to the temple on Saturday from the church that gathered together to pray on Wednesday. The church is the church all the time. The church is the body of Christ all the time. The church is the bride of Christ all the time. The church is the household of faith all the time. It never stops being the church, and it's something that the gates of hell are resisting all the time. 
It's something that you cannot stop being a part of all of the time for all of your life as long as you want to be called a follower of Jesus. It's bigger than a gathering. It is both personal relationship and corporate relationship all at once. This, the church is a living organism. Like, if you could explain to me exactly, and I mean precisely, here, here's an amazing one still to me. And I know, I see Dr. Beekman is here today, and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure he actually might have an answer. But when Annika was little, she broke her arm falling down some stairs, and it was a spectacular break. I mean, one for the, one for the books, one to make memories for the rest of our life. And I remember when they set the bone, there was about an oh, inch and a quarter gap between the two bones, and both bones in her, in her forearm were broken. And I remember looking at that going, man, that's a big gap. And this, just, this is just amazing me, the complexity of the human body. That from a sperm and an egg, first of all, that we get this little human being made, and it grows and develops, and it's born into the world. And, and yeah, I said it that way for a very specific reason, those of you who are paying attention. Um, all human, all the time. All God's creation. It's amazing. And, and, then it, and it grows up. And so if we write off all of the miracle that happened in the development from one cell and another cell coming together, each having half the genetic information needed to create life, and we get to this little three-year-old human who breaks an arm and the gap is huge in this broken arm. If you could just understand the complexity, how does the bone know to grow to bone? Because all the cells are growing all the time. And all the, there's little switches that are flicking on and off. And, and there, there is this code that is coursing through the, the nervous system that is so precisely designed by our creator. And I share that with you to help you understand the complexity of the church. By the way, Annika's arm healed completely. We went back two weeks later, and that one inch or better than one inch gap in those two bones had completely closed off. That is spectacular to me. How the human eye can function. My eye doctor, this will blow your mind, some of you maybe. My eye doctor told me that they've done experiments. And did you know that you could take glasses, a lens, and make somebody wear the lens that flipped everything upside down? Which apparently technically is right side up because your, your optic nerve is actually flipping the image around. But they could take, make you wear glasses that show the whole world, everything you see upside down. And in about five days, your brain will flip that image around wearing those glasses. I wouldn't believe it except for my eye doctor told me that. How, like, get your head around the thing that God has done in creating the human body, and now get your head around this. I can't sit down anymore. Screw it. <laughs> Stupid chair. Get your head around this. Bone can grow to bone. Flesh grows to flesh. Muscle to muscle. Right now, Amy's got this ruptured, ruptured uh, Achilles tendon. And the doctors just say, yeah, it's just like this, and it's going to grow back together. It's gonna, I'm going, how? And what does God say? God says to the church, you are my body. Huh. See, that's why it's not so simple. That's why the liturgy, the style of church is not as simple as some of us would like it to be. And the reality is, is that we don't dare criticize other churches because what they are called to and what God is doing in them is probably really, really important. After all, they might be the left hand that's going to heal the right hand or vice versa. They might be the, they might be the pointer finger that's going to scratch the itch in your ear. Right? They might be the fingernail on that finger. I mean, I don't know. You can just imagine the complexity of how it all has to work together and how this infinite and eternal God has designed it to work. And then we sit here trying to build boxes and formalities around how the church should function because we have to. We need organization and we need structure and we need clear guidelines for how we interpret doctrine and, and how we disciple people. And we have to build the system so that there's a skeletal structure for the muscle and the tissue to hang off of so that the body can function. And it's all so complicated, and it's all so simple, and it's also very, very difficult to just nail it down to one thing. So my advice to you is to stop trying to be that person. Stop trying to be the person that nails it all down and thinks that the tangent that you're on right now is actually going to be the tangent that changes the world. It's not. If you think you have a new idea, statistically speaking, you're probably wrong. And spiritually speaking, the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. Like, sorry. 
bothers me a little bit because who thought of the Pop-Tart for the first time then? <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Like in ancient times, somebody figured out something that must have been like a Pop-Tart. But really, isn't a Pop-Tart just a tiny pie? See, so you see how it, it's fruitless to go down some of these little rabbit trails. And I want to tell you this morning, lots of the issues churches face, that's exactly what they are. They're little rabbit trails. And if you don't think Satan comes along and and throws out rabbit trails for people in churches to run down so that they get off of the main course, if they get separated from the main column, so that they lose sight of the vision, that thing we're called to, to be in our lane, to work together as a church, if you don't think that's happening, you are deceived. All right. Um, So it's the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, all the time. The church is the church all the time. And um, the focuses that cause the problems are the ones that go way to the side of that. You know, oh, you're too outreach. Oh, you're too inward. Well, can I just say again, it's just, it's both. It's both. The whole, ty- the whole message at the end of the day, that you could just pack up and leave now, if you can understand this, outward or inward, it's both. Your heart matters, but so does the rest of this world. And you have to get healthy and grow and develop and become stronger. And you have to do that for and with other people. Otherwise, you've missed the whole point. But you can't neglect one for the other. Both are important. Both are the function and the form of the body of Christ. They're what we're called to. It's what we have to do. Um, The book of Ephesians speaks to this body and bride imagery. So you can read it for yourselves. It's Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. I'm not going to take the time to go through. Make your note. Go back and listen afterwards. Make the note again. Read it for yourselves. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Most often we're using this passage to understand the husband and the wife stuff, like the roles. And we actually referenced some of these passages in the last few weeks, I believe. Um, But Paul clearly states in this that he is referencing the great mystery that is Christ and the church. So when you go to read Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, that last 10 verses in that chapter, I believe it is, he's re- he actually says this, I say this in reference to Christ and the church, as, as much as he's also giving instruction to how husbands and wives and the body need to work together, the husband and the bride, okay? Um, and so I want to take us right now to Matthew 16, 18, and I'm going to just take you through a few passages of scripture in trying to help us understand what Generations Church is called to be. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 18 says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here's, here's what I want you to understand this morning. The operative word here is build. That Jesus wants to build his church. And I want you to hear this. this today, Jesus is still building his church. He didn't stop. He didn't say, Peter, I'm going to build the church on you, Peter. Uh, he, did, he didn't say, I'm going to build the church on a rock, and, and it's going to be done He just said, I'm going to build my church. And he continues to build his church. It didn't stop, and so we can't stop. Growth and structure and development are all part of the building of the church. And the church will not stop being built until God says this is the end. It won't stop until then. It is ever expanding. It is ever growing. It has to be because Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. And so we should probably then, this is what I submit to you, We should probably then concern ourselves mostly with the building of the church and everything that that entails. Is it inward or is it outward? It's both. It's inward. We have to be healthy. We have to be discipling. We have to be worshiping. We have to be praying. We have to be unified. We have to be overcoming together. We have to be bearing one another's burdens. I mean, I could spend months reading through the scriptures to you about the things that the body of Christ is called to do for itself how we take care of each other, how we minister to each other. And I could probably take just as many months and demonstrate to you from the New Testament how often the church is supposed to reach outside of itself to the world. So it has to be both. The outflow of the duties of the church are evident all through the books of Acts and actually all through the New Testament books of the Bible. In all of the writing of the apostles, there's continual instruction on how to deal with issues arising from the inflow of new converts. We know that God was adding daily to the number of people in the church because in the book of Acts chapter 2, following this moment on the day of Pentecost, here's what we read, Acts 2, 37 to 47. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent 
each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, hear that, and with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let me just read that again in case you missed it. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were gathered together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. You could just meditate on that scripture alone under the question, what is church? And you, and you can read through that again and again and again, and what you will begin to find, there are, there are markers this is what the church is. This is what the church should look like. There should be breaking bread together. There should be gladness, sincerity of heart. There should be the praising of God. There should be prayer. There should be having favor in the community and with the people all around us. And God should be adding to the number. All of these things are markers of what the church is when it's functioning in the way that God intended. When the Holy Spirit shows up and starts touching the lives of people, the response should not just be to come forward and get saved, but to come forward and belong to the body of Christ. So can you imagine discipling 3,000 people at once? You, most of you can't. I, I know you can't, because I might as well be speaking a different language to some of you. But some of you have served in church in this area. Some of you have been working in the church for long enough. You're like, hey. Like 3,000 people, and not just people, but 3,000, some of them devout Jews, some of them pagans, some of them absolute godless heathens. I mean, who knew nothing of God's law? Can you just imagine the variety of people when 3,000 people show up in a house or on the rooftop of a house? What a mess. And it was a mess. But I also need you to know that when you're reading that part of Acts chapter 2, it's not talking about one 24-hour period. The day of Pentecost happened, amazing things happened, amazing things followed, but it continued on from there. The church was born. Not at that moment, it preceded that. But the church was born, and as the church developed, this is what happens. And as any healthy church develops, this is what should happen. So these issues faced the church then, and they still face the church now. We're frankly always working to solve the problems and to serve the needs of people and to figuring out their place of need and to respond to the social climate that we find ourselves in. Because the social climate is all full of, of lofty ideas that are being raised against the knowledge of God. And Scripture tells us we've got to strike those down. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy time to live in, but it is the best time for us to live in. We're always trying to encourage those who could do more for God's kingdom to step up. And it's about that time some people are like, hey, I'm out of here. You're asking too much of me. Well, you're going to find the next healthy church you go to, they, they ask it of you too. Because it's actually not your leaders that ask it of you, it's God. Um, we laugh about some of the things that have been said in our leadership teams over the years, and um, I'm not going to expose anyone, but, but one time somebody just kind of flat out, I, I, asked, I asked if they would be willing to do something, because I had prayed about it, talked to God about it, felt the leading of the Lord to go ahead and present this opportunity, and the person just said flat out, it was just a no, like they were not ready for that, it was too much, and that's okay, um, but it, it was, I chuckled to myself because I'm like, well, I'm actually not the one asking like, and, when, and so when Jesus is, here's my point, when Jesus is Lord, we, do we really get to say no and have him still be Lord? 
I know from personal experience the answer to that is no. If he's really Lord, I don't get to say no to him because that's not how a Lord and the person who is not the Lord relationship works, if you understand what I'm saying. So uh, it's okay. It's okay that it takes us a little bit of time to grow into what God is calling us to do. And by the way, the individual I'm referencing here without name is a spectacular individual in our church. Like, I don't find fault there at all. It's, these are, we have beautiful people in this church, amazing leaders. Um, but this is the thing we're called to. This is the thing a church has to do. We have to raise people up. We have to equip saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, let's jump over to 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy says, I'm writing these things to you, hoping, that, hoping to come to you before long, but in, in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, and the pillar and support of the truth. Okay, what I want you to understand, the church is the household of family, uh, the church is a household of faith. Uh, it's a family of believers who walk together, a family of people who mature in Christ. It's a family that, that works together to reach the lost. It's a family that works together to, to see the needs of orphans and widows. To take care of what that means is the, the Bible actually says the only good religion is to take care of orphans and widows in their time of need. And, and I want to just clarify this. What, what is an orphan and a widow? Well, they're, they're people who do not have a covering and who cannot take care of themselves. So, so just for clarity, it's like, well, technically that's not an orphan or a widow, Pastor Trav. I don't know that we need to help understand, understand what Scripture is telling us. It's people who have no covering over them and who cannot take care of themselves. That's, who, that's what pure religion looks like when we see to their needs. And, um, and, and it's, it's, it's important. It's important that we do that because when we do that, there are social and political outcomes to the action of a church. But you have to understand that the focus of the church was never social and political outcome. Does that make sense to you? Like, we don't, we don't look in social media and be like, oh boy, here's the biggest need. What we should be doing is what it, whatever the Holy Spirit of God is leading us into and allowing that to impact the greatest areas of need in the world around us. And it's very, very important that you have the horse in the right position to the cart. Right? Um, so the church is this household of faith. Worship team, you can come back. You'll hear us talk about the church as the bride, the body, the family. All of these are biblical pictures, just so you know. And, and it is. Um, and it needs to function like a family. It needs to function like a household. And I have a really great message for you uh, called the family table that will, hopefully before the spring get to, we've got to fit it in somewhere. What does that look like? Like, what does the functional family of the church look like, and how do we participate in it? It's one of the reasons why churches that are seeker-sensitive had to develop their systems is because when someone new comes in, you kind of got to show them where the fork and the knife are, where to sit at the table. You know, you, someone comes to your home, you're like, well, there's the bathroom. You know, this is our living room. Um, this is the messy room that we don't want anybody to go in. Like, we, you know, when we're being hospitable, we allow people to come in, and without having to ask a question for everything they don't know, we kind of try to set the table for them so that they know what's next. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the church doing that. Um, it's just a part of what we have to do. Oh. Sometimes people think the church is wherever believers gather. That's not true. Church is not wherever believers gather. And also, here, here's another one, and um, if I've talked with you in the last week about this, don't, don't, feel, don't feel like you're being singled out because it's a conversation I have all the time with a lot of people. But wherever a person feels the presence of God, like I don't need, to, I don't need the church or I don't need to be in church because I'm in the presence of God when I'm here or when I'm there, and that's church. Well, uh, again, don't be offended. That's not church. That is not church. So, hey, Pastor Trav, how the heck do we know what church is then? Well, um, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, here's what it says. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. 
So one of the markers of whether it's church or not for us that we have always taught on here at Generations Church is, okay, you got together in a household or, or you got together somewhere with a group of people and you say you had church. Well, let me ask you this. Did you worship? Did you pray together? Did someone teach? Did someone encourage? Did anybody prophesy? Like, did you have church? Or are you just calling it that so that you can check a spiritual box to say that you're in fellowship with other believers? This is maybe where this message gets a little pointed for some people. And I'm okay with that. I hope you are. But it's important that we understand what church is. Church is so much more than just believers getting together. And even it's more than believers getting together and having Jesus in the midst of them. Because wherever two or three gather, Jesus says, there am I in the midst of them. But what if that's still not church? Somebody's life has got to be changed for it to be church. Somebody has to be lifted up and their burdens bared with someone else for it to be church. Someone's got to prophesy if it's church. Someone's got to speak life into someone else if it's church. Somebody's got to pray for somebody else if it's church. Somebody's got to got to pick up the guitar or maybe he's just singing the most horrible off-tune key together to make it church you got to worship God for it to be church and I will tell you this I don't think you can find a pattern in scripture that shows church outside of that it's not about checking the boxes okay Pastor Travis said these 10 things have to be there for church I'm not saying that I'm just saying Can we understand the complexity of the body that God uses as an example for us in our physical reality? And he's saying, that same thing, that body I gave you is the same analogy I'm using to describe what I'm doing in the lives of all the people who know me. It's a bigger deal. Um, It's a nonstop work. To be in the Word together, to be in the presence of God together, to to worship together, to pray together, to edify together, to make disciples together, to have an impact on the world around them and not become navel gazers and not to become people who are inwardly focused. And it's tough to see. I've got to tell you, my work is nonstop. It never, ever, ever stops. For Pastor Amy and I, we go to sleep at night, and if we're if we're if we're really tired, maybe we're not thinking about the church when we go to sleep and close our eyes. But most nights we are. And when we wake up in the morning, we're thinking about God's people. We're thinking about the church again. It's nonstop. And I want you to know something. It's not nonstop for us because we get paid. Because I preached a lot of Sundays for free without getting paid anything at all in my life. And my focus never changed once. We have to be convinced and convicted that the body of Christ matters. That the church is central and important to God's heart. And it's really, really easy to get caught up in all of the the tangents, as I said, and all of the doctrinal opinions and all of the social media posts that are, are partly right, at least partly right. And so even for me, sometimes I struggle with where to look. Where do I look then? Where's my guiding light? Where's my true north? Where's my whatever you want to, whatever euphemism you want to put in there? Just like where, how do I know? Well, here's what Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says. And this is the place I have to come back to because there is one place I can look that will bring me back to where I need to be every single time. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When it comes to church and what we should do and what we shouldn't do, should we this, should we that? Should we buy land? Should we build a building? Should we put this person in leadership? Should we have a hard conversation with this person? Oh man, I see that family is struggling. What what do we do? Guys, the only thing I can do 
is fix my eyes on Jesus. And it's actually the only thing you can do. Because all of the questions and all of the answers aren't going to all magically line up for you. But here's what happens when we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith and our process and our discipleship journey. It doesn't matter as much because we get to do the next right thing. I fix my eyes on Jesus and all of those questions kind of disappear in the peripheral. But because my eyes are fixed on him, my hope is fixed on him, as I take my right, my next right step, what I find out is that, oh, we just knocked two of those issues off. And this is the reality. We Each one of us need to learn to trust the process and the heart of God so that as we walk out the path and the plan he has for us, we can know and have assurance that in our obedience to him, not to our understanding of him, but in our obedience to him, we will see that thing that he has desired for us to accomplish, we'll see it be done. But it won't happen if we're looking at this issue and that issue and is this right and is that right and is this the correct interpretation? That's not what's going to get it done. I'd lose heart if I didn't keep my eyes on Jesus. Because this body moves and lives and does weird things. Every once in a while there's an injury. There's also some weird ticks that happen. Hand shoots up. Weird stutter now and then. Our church is a weird thing. Because some of you are a little bit weird. And I'm so glad that that's who we are. We have a vision to follow. And other churches are certainly called to their unique lane and area of ministry. So, what are the markers of health for us? What are the, 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 the defining and healthy markers of church for us? And I mean that by, like, as a church, when we're healthy and generally going the right direction. There's four things. Well, there's actually five things that are the markers for us. And here they are. Um, that people who don't know Jesus enough come. That's really, really important to our church. And, and you can throw the whole message away if you kind of just hear my heart for this last little bit. So firstly, that people who don't know Jesus enough come. I don't care if you don't know Jesus at all or you know Jesus a fair bit. It doesn't matter. You don't know him enough, and so you need to come. And then secondly, and not less important, but just as important, is that the followers of Jesus are committed, growing, connected, and serving. Those four things in the life of anybody who is known by Jesus and knows Jesus are vitally important to us as a church. And, and let me just tell you this, if even one of those things is not happening in your life, if you are not committed, if you're not growing, if you're not connected, and you're not serving, then you're not quite understanding what we're trying to do as a church yet. And I'm not laying the blame at your feet for that. I'm just saying, if you're not actively involved in all four of those areas, I'm going to ask you to check your heart. I'm asking you to have a look around and see what lane you're in. Are, are you in a lane? Are you on a path? Are you are you doing anything for God? Or, or are you just kind of drifting and bumping along? Are you growing? Are you committed? Are you connected? Are you serving? Man, it's a lot more preaches to get to where I'd like us to go. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be done here today. We'll come back and sweep up the pieces in the coming weeks if we need to. Are you growing? Are you committed? Are you connected? And are you serving? Two weeks from now, we're having Vision Sunday, and I get to download all of my heart and all of my excitement on our church for what God has done in the last year and what we see God doing in the year to come. I'm very excited about it. But the reality is this. You have more power to influence the speed at which our church accomplishes vision than I do. You do. You can accelerate what God wants for our city, or you can coast. You can be the church, or you can be something other than the church. And I just got to tell you this morning, we need you to be the church. 
We need you to be inwardly focused and outwardly focused. We need you to be heavenly minded and earthly aware. We need you to get over your pain and your hurt and your frustration to step in and be brave and serve even though there's risk. And we also need you to take time to heal and know that you're loved. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. The good news about Jesus is this. Every one of us are sinners. We have fallen short of God's perfect standard. We have broken every one of the Ten Commandments, each one of us. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, you are an adulterer of your heart and you are actually a murderer in your heart as well. So we broke all ten. But the good news, the gospel of Jesus is that he came, he led a sinless life, he died in our place. After three days in the grave, he was raised to life. And he now, seated in the throne of God, where he makes intercession, where he prays for us and watches over us and empowers us and equips us and gives us his spirit. And for any one of us today who doesn't know Jesus, we can step into a relationship with him. And we'd love to talk with you about that. So we're going to sing one last song just like we always do. Maybe today is the day you get saved. And I'd like you to come forward. Not raise your hand, not quietly slip out the back, not ignore it for one more Sunday, but actually come forward and stand at the front of this place and say, today's the day that I'm, gonna, I'm giving my life over to Jesus. You know, churches are full of people who have attended for 20 years who have never actually taken that step. It wouldn't surprise me in the least. Maybe you have sickness in your body. Maybe you need healing in your marriage. Does this sound familiar? I feel like I say the same thing every week. But that's because the same God is here this Sunday, and He doesn't want you to leave this place unchanged today. So we're going to pray and sing this last song. If you want to respond today, receive prayer, come, because you don't have to leave the same way that you came. Father, I thank you for every person standing in this gymnasium this morning. For every person who's watching online, not because they were lazy and just wanted to stay home, but because they have a legitimate reason for not coming to church today. <laughs> Father, I thank you for them. And Holy Spirit, today I pray that you begin to put your finger on the things in us that are out of alignment with how you define your church. Holy Spirit, that, that you would give clarity and understanding and that you would begin to impart wisdom. God, so that we can see your heart, we can see what you want to do in this world with a clearer lens today. That's my prayer for our church today, Jesus. And I ask in your name that you would see it done. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.